Hello and welcome to Marysville Church of Christ. I'm excited to have you along today in our second installation of Mountainside, a series in which we wrestle with the dangerous, radical, and life-altering words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Last week we left off with the question, what if Jesus meant it? How much different would our lives be, how much different would the church be, if we all lived as if Jesus meant what he said on the Sermon on the Mount? What if they weren't just lofty guidelines or unattainable goals, but rather standards by which Christians should hold themselves? It would change fundamentally the way we process, the way we think, the way we act, and the way we live. Matthew chapter 5 is where the Sermon on the Mount begins, and that's where today's lesson is going to begin. The first 11 verses or so offer up the Beatitudes, in which Jesus gives not only a thesis of what he's going to be saying over the next couple of chapters, but he also gives us a template, a, a quick reference guide, if you will, for everything Jesus taught. These simple statements, so simple that many children in Bible schools learn them, have the impact, have the ability to radically shift your life if you just ask, what if he meant it? Let's read it together. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the hillside and sat down. His disciples came to him. He took a deep breath and began his teaching. Blessings on the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessings on the mourners. You're going to be comforted. Blessings on the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. Blessings on people who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. You're going to be satisfied. Blessings on the merciful. You'll receive mercy yourself. Blessings on the pure in heart. You will see God. Blessings on the peacemakers. You will be called God's children. Blessings on people who are persecuted because of God's way. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessings on you when people slander you and persecute you and say all kinds of wicked things about you falsely because of me. Celebrate and rejoice. There's a great reward for you in heaven. That's how they persecuted the prophets who went before you. What an introduction to a profound lesson. See, each one of these words that Jesus chose are impactful, but easily missed. When he begins, he talks about the poor in spirit, the mourners and the meek. These three different people groups characterize the three different groups of, uh, let's call them outsiders, in the first century Jewish world. The people who were poor in spirit, a reference to two types of people, poor in spirit is a Greco-Jewish idiom, literally meaning for those who are either low on righteousness or religiousness, but also a reference to those who are downtrodden and doubtful. So we have this representation of the poor, the unspiritual, the non-religious elite, followed by the mourners, those whose lives have spiraled out against them. 
those who have nothing to cling to, those who feel lost and forgotten. In the Jewish world, those people were believed to have committed a crime against God. If your life was bad, the thought process went, then you must have done something to warrant it, either you or your father or mother. And then he ends out this little, this little introduction with the meek. The meek, the lowly, the humble. See, these three definitions define for us people who were on the lower ends of the social echelon. The, the people who others easily overlooked. Christ made it a priority to reference those because who Christ was coming to save was them. See, Christ did not come in agreement with or for the purpose of the religious elite. He did not come to heal the Pharisees, though he tried. He did not come to teach alongside the Sadducees, though he did. And he did not come to rewrite the law like a scribe. But he definitely accomplished that. No, see, Jesus came for us, real individuals, not the polished, perfected religious, not the happy-go-lucky and rich, but those who society has forgotten about and those who are neglected. Those were Jesus' priorities. And though he saved the religious, and though he saved uh, the wealthy, the happy, he, he focused on bringing joy to the joyless and light to the darkness. This is a representation of Jesus' entire ministry. This upside-down approach, giving the kingdom of heaven not to the scholars, but to the laymen. Not giving joy and comfort to those who have joy and comfort, but joy and comfort to those who the rest of society ignores. Giving the reins of the earth not over to those who are powerful, but those who are weak. This, these three lines represent the upside-down nature of Jesus' teachings. And he will go on to say things like this through the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. But he starts off with a bang. Fishermen in the audience. Children. Women. Prostitutes. Tax collectors. Sinners. Gentiles. You. You have a place in my kingdom you can imagine the Jews, after hearing these words, inside their mind, the dissonance rising to a fever pitch as everything they've ever thought, everything they've ever believed was being shifted. Three simple lines. Poor in spirit, mourners and meek. Blessings on you, and I will give you more than you can imagine. This first section of the Beatitudes references the upside-down ministry of Christ. The second section is this. Blessings on those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. You're going to be satisfied. Blessings on the merciful, for you shall receive mercy. And blessings on the pure in heart, for you will see God. The second section, the second group of three, is a reference to the forgotten traits of Judaism. Merciful, pure in heart, and those who hunger for righteousness. See, in the ancient world, these were the ideals that God chose to govern his people with, constantly and consistently, throughout the books of the law. God wrote about things like 
caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, being gentle to the alien, and allowing respect and love to permeate to all members of society. But it didn't take long for the world to corrupt Judaism as it has corrupted everything else. And before it became, give money to the rich, submit to the powerful, and get out of the way. If you were an alien, a Gentile, or a woman, you found yourself at odds to much of Judaism. These next three lines are a reminder, not so subtly, of what Judaism was supposed to be and how far it had strayed. Those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Now, some translations utter this justice, but that's not a fair interpretation of Jesus' intent. Because there were plenty of people who wanted justice, the wrath, the vengeful nature of God. No, God didn't, Jesus wasn't referencing that. Jesus was referencing the equality and the love that comes flowing from God to those people who hunger and thirst for that. You're going to get it, and you're going to be overwhelmed. To those who show mercy, mercy a trait often forgotten, perhaps best exemplified in John chapter 8 as the prostitute, excuse me, the adulterous woman was brought before the, the feet of Jesus with an angry crowd ready to kill her. There was venge. There was wrath. There was justice, but there was no mercy. In this one story, we find a microcosm for what the greater Jewish world was looking like. Heavy on rituals, heavy on hate, heavy on wrath, low on mercy. And third, we find pure in heart. This is an interesting phrase not used frequently in the Bible. But pure in heart is not a reference to, to one's um, sin state but rather one's redemptive state. When this phrase is used elsewhere in the Bible, it's not referencing those who are without sin, meaning blameless or innocent, because there is none, no one righteous, no, not one. What this is a reference to instead are those who realize their flaws, realize their brokenness, and are willing to be redeemed. These three groups of people those who want righteousness, those who are merciful, and those who are in a redemptive state are the audience that Jesus is talking to. This first group, we see the people Jesus is ministering to. The second is those who are going to be open and receptive to his words. Who are going to be able to handle the message of Christ? So we have the who, we have the what, meaning what they're looking for, and third, consider this. Blessings on the peacemakers. You'll be called God's children. Blessings on people who persecuted because of God's way. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessings on you. When people slander and persecute you and say all kinds of wicked about you. Who is going to be open to this? The poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek. What is it going to take to receive these messages? Mercy, a pure heart, and a desire for righteousness. And third, how is it going to change you? It's going to make you a peacemaker. It's going to make you persecuted. And it's going to make you often against the world. 
This third part is the part we don't do well as a church. Many people in Christianity care for the outsiders, the strangers, the different. They care for the poor in heart, the mourners and the meek. There are many churches who desire mercy, who incorporate redemptive states into every service, trying to get their people to realize their flaws and the grace that God gives. And there are many churches who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, but there are very few churches and Christians who are willing to do the next thing and ask, how does this change me? We as people are confrontational to a fault. God says, be a peacemaker. We often don't even distinguish ourselves from the world in the church. Why would the world persecute Christians that aren't any different? Why would people slander us and talk bad about us? Well, the reality is, the church in the 21st century has allowed itself to become camouflaged in 21st century Americanism. We blend so much into our culture that we don't stand out. We're not a light among the darkness. We're just a gentle glow that is often and easily missed. We aren't the kind of people who stand out as peacemakers, nor are we the kind of people who people feel uncomfortable around, nor are we the kind of people who people try to attack because we're not even worthy of that. We're just worthy of apathy and indifference. How is this going to change you? This message that's designed for the poor in spirit, the mourners and the meek, the message that can only be heard if you thirst for righteousness and you're merciful and you're pure in heart, how is this going to change you? Well, first, it's going to make you something different. It's going to make you a peacemaker. The grand majority of the Sermon on the Mount is about that very idea. Starting really from verse 27 on to the end of the chapter, we see that that is the key idea. What it means to be a peacemaker. Really, you can even back that up to verse 21 and on. The grand majority of this chapter is going to be about that very idea. Notice what he's going to go on to say, and we'll talk about it next week. The light and the salt. We are to be the light of the world and salt to the blandness. And yet we can't do that unless we distinguish ourselves as different. We can't learn not to retaliate. We can't learn to love. We can't learn to forgive. We can't learn any of these messages if we're not open to it. So here we see the outline and the thesis of Jesus' statements on the Sermon on the Mount. And I would like us to consider these as we move forward. Who was this designed for? The poor in spirit, the mourners, and the meek. What does it take to understand his words? mercy, righteousness, and purity. And then third, how is this going to change you? Be prepared. Be prepared to put down your conflict, your hostility. Be prepared to leave aside your pride, to cast off your old self. Be prepared as you walk down this journey, as you sit and listen to Jesus on the mountainside, watch your life become different. And in some ways, the transformation that will come from believing Jesus' words and asking this question, what if he meant it? Some of these changes are going to be the most glorious and beautiful changes you've ever had. 
And some of these changes are going to radically shift you and push you and challenge you. It may lead you to be at conflict with the world sometimes. It may lead you to being persecuted. It may lead to a loss of relationships in some situations. It may lead you to being the odd one out in your social circles. But it may lead you to saving others.